Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of One Step Beyond. This is a podcast about transformation through leadership. On our show, we have conversations with people who are creating change in business, in their community, and in their lives by choosing to lead. This is about daring to overcome barriers, push past limitations, and reshape our present and our future. Today, we're talking to Paramal Shah. He's the Senior Vice President of R&D and Clinical at Siemens Health and Ears Ultrasound. And we're going to be talking about the value of persistence. You know, Paramal is someone I've known for a long time, and he's really shown that by sticking to something and really holding your space, you're going to be able to get past whatever barrier. You know, a thing to think about is like anytime you're facing a wall, you can go over it, you can go around it, and sometimes you got to go through it. And Paramal really demonstrates that in his career over and over again. In his own words, uh, you know, he shared with us that lifelong personal goals have been creating value in everything that he's a part of and a commitment to consistently learning. So that's why persistence is so close to his heart, especially when facing resistance to change. He grew up in a predictable environment, but he had a lot of exposure to different ideas and possibilities. And that created a yearning to carve out his own path and embrace change. His job today is very similar to his personal goals. He's aligning teams and businesses in the same direction in a consistently fluid environment. So before we get started, I want to thank our sponsors at SE Electronics. Uh, You know, we really appreciate all of your support. And if you haven't yet, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. So let's get to the episode. I'm your host, Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step beyond. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. So like I mentioned in the intro, we're talking about the value of resistance. And there's almost no one that I could think of that's better to speak on this topic than our guest today. So when we're thinking about resistance, we're not talking about like being jerks or throwing up needless barriers. What we're saying is when you're trying to create any kind of great change or lead something that's going to have real meaning for people, of course, you're going to have some resistance. And how do you work through that? So with that, tuck in. It's going to be a great session. And Paramount, welcome to the show. Hi, Ram. Nice. Thank you for having me here. Absolutely. All right. So when we were prepping and, and asking you to be on the podcast, you came up with this great topic. So tell us, why did you want to talk about the value of resistance? To me, uh, resistance has come to me. I have not seeked it out. And it constantly follows me around. So I've started to wonder if this is just a measure of the task or the goal that anyone takes on that I have taken on. Mm-hmm. And it's a good counter to have, right? It's a counter that helps you calibrate, calibrate mm-hmm. yourself, calibrate your goal, calibrate everything around you and find meaning in it. I think mm-hmm. resistance has meaning in it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I want to hit on that, but the interesting thing you just brought up that you, you and I have laughed about before is like, man, is it me or do I just get drawn into roles or am I drawn to roles that where I have to like kind of face resistance? So do you think, cause I mean, if we look back across your leadership roles, it's like, you're constantly like creating a state of change, which is really cool, but I know it's tough. Do you think you actually look for that kind of uh, challenge? You know, I wondered about that myself. Is it me, like you said, or is it really something seeking me out? I think it's a little bit of both. And then when you reflect back, you say, have you become it, right? Have you become that person that can do something well enough that you almost wonder if the universe collaborates to give you more problems that you can go do better. <laughs> so there's a little bit of both, right? You wonder where, that, where that's coming from. Yeah. Um, so tell us about that meaning that you find uh, working through resistance. It, no, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's something that I've thought about a lot. You know, what is a goal? And what is the resistance to a goal? Uh, I think goal is just a mental model. It's a mental representation of something somewhere that you want to get to. 
separated either by some distance or separated by money or separated by effort. It's just you're separated from something you want to change. Mm-hmm. And you believe that change is rightful. Mm-hmm. And then comes along this friend of yours called resistance. And it's a really good buddy because it never leaves you. And, and the whole idea is, is it resistance that's coming from everything around you? And is there something also within you? And through this process of understanding what's around you and what's internal to you and how this resistance works, you tend to find yourself. You find those values. You find the character within yourself. You find how you react at, with stress. You also learn to be somebody else's coach or mentor, to be their friend as they go through this process. And you find that your goal actually changes as you experience resistance. You find a more meaningful goal. Also, the meaning within the goal becomes more personal. It's no longer just a box that you check. It's no longer just fame and money that you get from it. It becomes, it becomes something you truly feel. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. And, you know, if you think of, you know, like any challenge you take on, like let's say someone who wants to run a marathon and they're yeah. not a natural runner, you set the goal and your body is literally resisting you. It's like, no, I don't, don't want to run for like that long. That's terrible. And you have to train through that. You have to work through that. You know, running and distance running is, in my opinion, more of a mental game than a physical game because most people's bodies can accommodate doing some kind of a distance run, but not all people's minds can accommodate that kind of challenge. So when we talk about resistance, and you'd mentioned that, that coaching perspective, how much of it is being able to really like coach yourself mentally? Yeah, that's a great point. I think it's such a valid point, even through the pandemic, you know, we take care of ourselves better if we were to exercise, diet, sleep better, do the things in a more balanced way. Mm-hmm. And I myself dropped the ball on all of that in the first year. <laughs> <laughs> and then you wake up and you go, you're hurting everywhere. And yeah, yeah. you're just doing your job or even not giving enough attention to your family or kids. And you want to change, right? Mm-hmm. You want to bring change in yourself. And as we talk about exercise, there's no such thing as a as a painless first six week, right? So you start with six to eight weeks of sheer pain. You're crawling up the stairs after you come back home. You're doing all those things. And I went through that. And then you remind yourself that you're never going to do that again. And naturally, of course, the gyms in Washington State, uh, again, went to a lockdown. And you go, I'm never going to give up exercising. And you do. And you give it all up and you start again when the gyms open up again. And you go, how did you do this to yourself? But you do this to yourself all the time. And so this is it, right? The idea is resistance has great value, but also memory is short-lived. And you go find the same problem again. (laughs) So you wonder if you're ever learning through this process. Totally. Right? Are you really self-aware of what you're doing to yourself? And that's where you connect back with, does it give you meaning? And if it gives you meaning, you stick with it. Or you don't, right? So it comes back to that premise. Yeah, and what a great way to bring it back to to that idea. And it's funny you say that because like, so uh, last year I ran 100 days in a row. I I ran every single day for 100 days. And some of the distances were really short, like 3K. And some of them were as long as a half marathon. And by the end, I'd like lost 30 pounds. I was in great shape. It's like, man, I'm never going back. And of course, you know, my knee was hurting. And here I am, it's, you know, mid-January, I've put back on like maybe like 10 pounds, I'm eating candy every day, I'm not running, and I just started running again this week. And I started thinking, because I knew this podcast was coming up, I was like, man, do I love the finish state, or do I love the pursuit of getting to the finish state? Like, do I like that, like, challenge of, like, getting comfortable running again, like, slimming down again? Do I actually like that journey? Because whenever I seem to get to that finish state, it's not as enticing to me. Like, it's almost like I, I create the next situation that I have to like go back up that journey, just like you said. But let's talk about resistance and break it down for the audience. So like your background in the business world is really, really interesting. I want to get to that later on. But when we're talking about resistance, what kinds of resistance are we looking at? And, you know, like just kind of general themes. What are the things when you, that you would categorize as resistance when you are leading any kind of change? Yeah, it's a great question. But, you know, I have to tell you a simple, funny story about this um, 
putting on weight, right? I swear, uh, through when I started gymming again and I put on my jeans, they wouldn't fit. I said <laughs> to my wife, you must have put them in the dryer. It cannot be me. It cannot be the 10 pounds. It's got to be the dryer. But <laughs> but you're exactly right. Uh, you know, resistance comes from uh, maybe just two things, right? It, it comes from the mental aspect of either giving up, right? You're just given up even before you started, and that's resistance. And the other aspect is, I'm guessing, just knowing when to stop, mm. right? So it's, it's, it's both aspects of it, right? And it's, it's a mental approach to um, saying the problem is not bigger than you. Mm -hmm. uh, the problem is something that you can take on in measured steps in a logical way. In an intellectual way, you can know it and deal with it and then impact it, get somewhere. Mm -hmm. The other kind of approach, I think, is... If you know when to stop, then you also know the right level of effort you're putting into it with expectation you want to get out of it, mm. right? So the game then becomes also much more fun because now you control not just the outcome, but you control your feelings about that outcome. So then you mm -hmm. can play where you are right in the middle of that marathon, which is where you need to be and not at the finish line because you're not there yet. Yeah. Right, you're playing and having fun where you need to be and where we are. And this happens so much more now in such in such gra graphic fashion in the business world. Mm -hmm. This year, this past year, you've seen it in so many industries. This this year coming, uh, you know, getting into 2021. Yeah, the the lots of uh, change that people have experienced, whether it is at home, at work, uh, being remote from your colleagues being involved in ways uh, which you never experienced both at work and home. So that level of change, you, know, you can say will get done in three months, six months, a year. We've been waiting for it for almost a year or more. But the question is, what do we do while we are in it? Mm -hmm. And how well do we react? Just like we're in the middle of the marathon, running it with all the pains you're experiencing, knowing it's the right place to be. There is no other place to be. The only place to be is right where you are. And then the question is, take that space where you are and then think about what you need to do in the most rightful way for yourself and the people you love and your family and your colleagues and move forward. There, there is just nothing else uh, that is more important than that time. Yeah, I, I love that. And, you know, uh, very specifically, I, I like what you said about it's essentially you're controlling the output and the input because yeah. if you look at a problem and you recognize, hey, I actually can tackle this. I can do something about it. And maybe I can only do something about this part of the problem or maybe the whole thing. Or if I collaborate with people, we can get it. You can control the, your mindset around it. But the other piece is knowing when to stop. And I found that like an interesting thing you added in. Because then you're also, when you know when to stop, you know how to pace yourself into it. And if we talk about something like a marathon, okay, we know how long that is. We know generally how long it should take you to run, generally what level of um, uh, shape you should be into doing it. But in the business world, when we talk about change, people look at problems and they might be like, yeah, I want to tackle that, but they don't know when to stop. And one of the big things that I see a lot in the business world is like I see businesses that are like, you know, a new leader comes in and everyone kind of rolls their eyes. It's like, oh okay, we're getting ready for the speeches. Like there's going to be all this change. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And it's going to be the same thing as always. And nothing's really going to change. And it seems to be like what miss is missing for a lot of leaders is understanding both the input and the output. Like, okay, here's the problem. I know what it is and I believe I can change it. But I also know the output. I know when to stop. I know what that vision is. And I, I really, based on what you were saying there, I think a lot of leaders could benefit from that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll share my point of view. I, I think I come into the business with the, as a technologist, and I'm in medical devices. But that said, uh, the complexity that we have in this business, you know, I deal with it almost very similar to a surgeon's mind, you know, with, with a set of paramedic tools sometimes. You don't have everything that a surgeon has in the business environment that we're in. But you really have to have the vision the vision for what needs to come three to five years um, and, and come out of it. So with that, with that mindset, as you pace yourself and you, you pace the teams and you realize what needs, to, what needs to be done, 
the first step most leaders jump into is let's do a 2.0. There's this fancy feeling that if we just upgrade it to 2.0, everything would be just fine. The, the problem is 1.0, there's still things that need to be fixed in 1.0, right? And, mm-hmm. and some of those just need to be stopped or some of these need to be changed or some of these need to be addressed. Even acknowledging what is 1.0 is more important than first jumping to 2.0. Right, right. Right, so taking that step and, and then coming back to addressing what is the problem we're trying to solve. Before we, before we jump to the solution, because then that gives you opportunities to think what's in the box and also what's out of the box. And then you get to the space of saying, are you comfortable with that which is out of the box? And then you address the problem with that discomfort, that mental discomfort of saying, I always visualize the goal a certain way. Yeah. So I'm in ultrasound. I'm in the business of building ultrasound machines and designing them. We have a goal. Our goal is to create systems, machines, science that helps clinicians do what they do better for the patients they serve. And eventually we are in the medical technology business to to help that outcome, to help a patient feel better, to have a child diagnosed correctly, to have somebody sick get better by what we do and what we image. Now with that empathy, with that knowledge that every day we put in is a day that is worthwhile, how do you take that goal and now change that to a two dot You want to keep that essence. You want to keep that essence, which is you, which is our team, which is who we stand for, but also change what our outcomes are in a measured way so that it takes the business to the next level. It takes people and developing them to address that discomfort so that we can take into account what is changing around us. But we never lose us through this process. That's the key and that's the value. You know, so I, I, I love what you're saying. Now we're going to get sticky, though, because a lot of people, and this is something that I've seen you do exceptionally well in, in your career, but a lot of people talk a big game about change. Yeah, we're going to change this. We're going to do that. And then they start to get resistance, and all bets are off. And I want to identify some different kinds of resistance I see. So one of it can be investment. You know, a business is like, we're going to do this. We're going to be we're going to move to number two or we're going to move to number one, but they don't want to invest. Right? <laughs> They've got all these big ideas, but they don't want to put any money into it. So sometimes there is investment resistance where a company doesn't want to spend. Other times there's leadership resistance and where it's like the leaders of an organization, they're like, yeah, pounding the table. And they're like, we're going to change, but they want everyone to change but them. But another kind of resistance we see is like people within the business. So people who've gotten comfortable, people who maybe have a good quality of life and they don't really care about the outcome. They just care about keeping their world comfortable. And I see those three kinds of resistance. So like it'd be like a financial investment resistance, leadership resistance, and then just people in general who just want to be comfortable. That's where it gets sticky. And I'll I'll give one that's uh, unrelated, but uh, uh, one that's important to think about is like when we think about diversity inclusion, like so many companies like beat the table, like we're going to be this and that. But at the same time, they don't necessarily change. They just get good at marketing the idea that they're going to change because change is really uncomfortable. It's super difficult and very painful. People have major reactions. They get personal. They call you names as a leader. They they say that you're a dictator and you're doing these terrible things when instead you're actually just trying to get to a, a, a good place for the business. So you as a leader, have I've seen you face this stuff with the kinds of business changes that, that you make. So think of those cha- three changes, the, the financial resistance, the leadership resistance, and then like that people not want to get out of their comfort zone. How have you managed to look those things in the eye and help businesses change? What a great question. You know, as I reflect back, I think about I am who I am because I grew up with a set of parents in an environment I was in that made me me. So first you have to look at yourself in the mirror and that's what I keep trying to do. And as I reflect back, I think about, I grew up in India and my parents were just simple, hardworking folks. My mom was a teacher, uh, my dad, worked in an electronics company, and he traveled the world. He was in marketing. He ran a business within the company and traveled the world, so I had exposure to 
all kinds of uh, uh, different electronic gadgets. He used to come back as an electronics engineer. I had my first keyboard computer uh, at almost the same time anybody had in the United States. Mm. And very interestingly, my grandfather was much more of a risk taker. He had moved to Africa when he was a teenager and started a business in Addis Ababa, which is where my father grew up. But since then, they had moved back to India and my dad pretty much grew up in India. And so I was born in India. But really, you know, my parents were much more risk averse. They were about keeping a job. Um, that's their values. Those were their values. Just keep a job, do well, be loyal uh, to the company, raise a good family. And life is actually pretty good. There's nothing wrong with that. I had a great childhood. And I come with that being me to a business environment, which is highly volatile, highly uh, ambiguous, uncertain, all of those things. So the journey that I took from India to the state we are in now also had different stages. Uh, I realized when I was in India, as I grew up as a teenager, that I had a little bit of my grandfather in me. I had the itch to travel. I had the itch to go off and do something on my own when I could have just stayed back in Bangalore and done fairly well. And so I came over to the United States searching for that thing that was me. Uh, it, within my first three weeks, I had to buy a skateboard because that was important. Uh, within my first six months, at about the same time I got my first car, I had to buy a motorcycle. It had to be a Honda CBR. It had to have three-digit horsepowers on it. This, this was mm. what you, you, know, you came over and you wanted to do, and you go off and do those things while you're working and you, and you create a career and you build yourself and obviously expand into more toys. And then you realize you want to learn to fly and you want to learn to sail, and you have a country that offers you an immense opportunity to grow intellectually, to grow with your talent, your skills, to push yourself. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a country that offers you the opportunity to, to take your merit and, and go with it. So it was a wonderful opportunity. And so with all of that, you realize that you still have a part of you that came from when you were growing up. You're still pretty risk averse. It looks like you've done a lot of things and you've checked a lot of boxes, but have you really taken the risks that this new environment demands of you? And these are the same questions you have for the resistances we think about, whether they're financial, where somebody is, struggles with an aspiration versus investment, or a leader who refuses to see the mirror, you know, continues to see other people in the mirror, but not themselves. Um, mm -hmm. you, you tend to look at yourself and say, you had a certain quality of life and it actually got better in your own way and it's actually pretty good. So what's the problem? Why be more uncomfortable? It's a pretty comforting situation. And, and, and then I've thought of what is a no regret move for me in 20 years versus the last next three months of the next year. And then you realize that when you do get to a certain end point, either with your career or with whatever it is that you want to do, that end point, the longer term, the lifelong end point that you want to achieve is very different from the comfort you want to feel now. You'd rather experience the pain of being in the middle of a marathon versus standing on the sidelines and cheering someone on. If you are wanting to play the game, then you got to get in the game and play it. And for that, it is going to take all these various things that need to be addressed. And resistance becomes an opportunity. It becomes an opportunity to practice, to get to that goal. Because you do realize that goal is going to take you to a completely different level. And to be ready for that level, your muscles have to work. And for that, you have to have resistance. It's strength training, right? Your bones yeah. do atrophy, your muscles do atrophy unless you put in the effort. And so you put in the effort to get to the next level. And I, and I think at the end of the day, uh, as I have looked at diversity and inclusion, it's no longer just two words for me. It's, it's just what, how you live. Right? How you live, how you practice, what you do, your behaviors, it just becomes you. You stop thinking of yourself as having immigrated to a country. You stop thinking of yourself as being of such certain gender or color. You start seeing who it is in front of you for what they are. And then you start to have a lot more fun being just there in the middle of people, in the middle of teams, and taking teams to another level.
and the authenticity is what makes it fun for you because you are yourself. And I think people appreciate that and they be themselves in that, in that exchange. Uh, I love that. So one of the things that I see leaders back away from all the time. So, you know, like, let's say we're talking about the investment side where a business doesn't want to invest, but they want change. Most leaders can handle that. They know how to be in those kinds of conversations and whether it's with investors or whether it's finance, they know how to like kind of play the game to squeeze that out. There's a certain logic that's in there. When it comes to people who, let's say, report up to you and they're afraid to look in the mirror, you know, there's like certain ways of working with that. But one of the things that I see leaders struggle with the most is the resistance, the, the, challenge that comes with pushing people outside of their comfort zone. And so people who have gotten comfortable and they don't like, I've got a good quality of life. You know, I got a two car garage. I got a, like a classic car. I work a certain amount of hours. I don't want, the only thing keeping me here is I don't want to drive 30 minutes further to the next company down the line. So like, I'm pretty comfortable here and I don't want to be uncomfortable. I see leaders just fold when they have to push people outside of their comfort zone. They're good at doing it for short periods of time, but they are not good at doing it and taking it over the line. That is something I have seen you be exceptional about, like the willingness in a thoughtful way to push people and a business outside of their comfort zone to get to a new horizon. How are you able to not fold? How are you able to stay in that mix? Yeah, it's a great it's another great question. And this comes, um, I think with, a <laughs> with a lot of practice, <laughs> you, you, you don't get, you, you don't succeed at all at the beginning. You don't succeed at all. Even thinking you got halfway, but then you start to realize as I have at least about myself, that if problems are stimulants and, and problems stimulate me, uh, there is a level of critical thinking and you can execute the vision and you have a knack for being able to prioritize a solution, uh, then you start thinking about what do you really believe in? And you see, I've asked myself what it is that motivates me. And I think it's first the belief in just strong fundamentals, just having a sense of the fundamentals, which is, which is a source of pride, a source of peace. And it also motivates me for more learning. And so once you have a set of strong fundamentals and you believe in them, then you start saying with that confidence, can I take a slow measured approach with convincing steps? So it is not overriding the other person's uh, ability or even their own beliefs or their approach, which might be very different. You start taking those slow measured steps. And there I think my personality trait of being somewhat risk averse is useful. You use that as a talent and as a method to the madness versus trying to take risks which are not of mutual benefit. And, and with that, you start making people comfortable, right? It starts the process. And right away, as you get into that space, you encounter haze, right? It's hazy, it's fuzzy. And that's what was stopping them in the first place. And you say, okay, how can you cut through it? And the ability to cut through that haze and quickly determine priorities that can get the quick wins, start the belief system rolling. Right? And that's been a simple approach for me. It's just repeating that in your mind that trust the process. Right? Yeah. You got to trust the process and it takes you to the next step. All right. So that's interesting though. So everybody's ability to trust the process is totally different. So like complexity is everywhere in any kind of change people want to make. Like I remember I was working with a company and they were like, Hey, we don't like the way our, our bios are written, our company bios for each, each of the leaders. So we're going to change that. And it became like a nightmare. <laughs> like Everyone got so upset. It was just bios. So like there's complexity in any kind of change from like the totally minor to like the big ones because you are you have and are leading like really big change so it's just a truth everyone is different in their ability to trust the process and to look at something see the complexity but just trust it some people are good at it and so i'd say people who are more like champions they're like i'm in and then people who are more detractors or are more fear-based are i'm out but there's a whole spectrum of people in between that 
have different levels of being comfortable with, with trusting the process and, and really looking complexity in the, in the eye. So how do you as a leader account for that? Knowing that there's going to be a core of people that are with you, they'll trust the process, they can handle complexity, and there are major detractors, but also everything in between. How have you been able to, to have a diversity of people go through change with you and manage the resistance that's a part of that? Yeah, yeah. let, let me just start by saying uh, now we've had uh, two winters in Seattle under our belt since we moved here. And, mm-hmm. and I tell my team, even in Seattle, um, you, you, can, you can tell yourself it never rains forever. Right? So, <laughs> <laughs> and I was proven right. We have had a clear straight week here, you know, with sunny days all winter. It's beautiful. Seattle's a great place to be, and uh, it never rains forever anywhere. So the, the idea mm-hmm. is just that, and it comes back to the visualization of the goal. In our case, we build products. We build products for the med tech industry that are ultrasound systems. If you can connect with that product, if you have a connection for what the product can do, and which is, which is really what I bring to the teams, like can we visualize the product, what it does, for our patients' clinicians, but also for the business. Can we grow this business in different ways? Have we looked at opportunities that we as technologists or engineers or clinicians, whoever we are internally, how are we thinking entirely out of the box that can make this happen? And this is a struggle because we have all gotten into a rut. We always find confidence will lead to just redoing the efforts that you've done before that you think you're good at. But then again, those might not be the efforts for the future and how do you change? It goes back to just taking a step back and just visualizing where we want to go. And goal is nothing more than just that. It's like, can you visualize the mental model of the state we want to be in? And if we can ask the golden questions around that model, that mental state we want to be in, and agree through that method that our questions are all addressing our our ways of thinking in different ways to get there, you start to build it. You build a team that starts to say diversity is actually a strength and how we get to this goal with different paths is going to get us much stronger when we get there. Yeah. Um, could you explain golden questions? You know, because when you shared it with me, I found it so compelling. So for, let's help our audience understand what a golden question is. You know, to me, um, a golden question is a way in which we can ask ourselves a meaningful state of where we want to be in, uh, a paradoxical thing that we have not been able to address, a dysfunctional uh, situation that we haven't really taken into account, but then state it in a question which is pragmatic, which is clear, which is thoughtful, which wants to know the answer in an authentic way, but say it clearly enough in a short enough way that it gets to the point. And the point then can be something that everyone can reflect on clearly and come back to it in, in their own ways. Hmm. Good. Okay. So another space where I see leaders fold, 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 fold is when they get a sense that people don't like them or people are blaming them. And we know, do know like part of resistance is people feeling like something is being done to them. They personalize it and they're like, so-and-so is a, a dictator or, you know, they don't understand the business or they're doing this terrible thing. And I mean, I see this in my role. I see this all the time. Like, People develop a, a contempt for the person who's leading change, and they villainize that person. And again, I see leaders fold under this over and over again. They leave jobs. They back off their points. What are your thoughts on that? Like, How can leaders manage that, stay okay with themselves, and keep leading, uh, leading through resistance? You know, I... Until I had kids, I had no idea um, how badly your ego could get bruised. So, I, <laughs> so let me start there. And once you go through that experience, then you don't think you'll have any issues with any of these uh, you know, issues at work or career or anywhere else professionally. I have an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old. They're still not teenagers, but they're well on their way to say, hey, give me the keys and, and the money and just stay home. We got it from here, right? And more than that, um, they're already correcting my accent. Right. So they grew up in, uh-huh. in the States, you know, speak English a little differently. They're already correcting uh-huh. me about how well, how badly I am at Minecraft, you know, and uh-huh. how I might not really be doing very well at work if I'm not in 
the mansion next to Bill Gates or and and, and, and they call Jeff Bezos by his first name Jeff, right? They all want to be Jeff. And uh-huh. and so your ego starts to get hammered just about in any conversation. And then you look at yourself in the mirror and you go, uh, you know, you got to hold on to your self-respect here. You're not home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, you know, with that kind of experience and it really grounds you and on, in all seriousness. Before I had kids, you know, you have these things about yourself. You have this big notion about who you are, how tall you stand and what presence you create. And and that is at many times in conflict with what someone else rightfully believes uh, is not the right approach for them personally and individually. So and I, I go back to this thing with kids, right? They bring you down to the level. They just take you to the basics, right? They take you to the basics of who you are and they look at you in the most simple way and look at you in the most clear way. And then you get this experience with them that says, I should be looking at myself in the same way. I am just needing to be who I am and do the right things. Now, in that situation, there will always be conflict because you are always addressing a goal that needs to be taken care of. It's time bound. It's money bound. It has outcomes. And there will always be conflict. There will always be people, teams, organizations. There will be customers. There will be there will always be resistance and the resistance can come up in different ways. It come up in misbehaviors. It can come up in what someone says to you. And you look at it, you know, it's easy to say, you look at it as feedback. It's never that easy. You always have to take a few deep breaths. You avoid sending that email when you shouldn't be. And you know, look at what is the mutual goal here? What is the mutual shared expectation here? And you find a way to get to a win-win. Uh, and there are times when you will not get to a win-win. It is a win-lose or a lose-lose. And there will be times when you'll say to yourself, uh, maybe there's a, there is a path here which uh, there's no point going forward. You also have to know that. You have to know when there is no path go, uh, to something that, uh, that doesn't lead to better. Mm-hmm. So is there value? And, and the answer might be no from your perspective. But is there, if we think of the value of resistance, is there value as a leader of having to go through a, a, a situation where the resistance is personal yeah. and people think poorly of you and they, they kind of villainize you, but you still have to lead through it? Is there value for a leader in that? I think so. Now, I had a personal experience in one of my earlier roles, and um, I was much, I was just my first time management role at uh, General Electric in the imaging business. It was a tough role. Uh, yeah, you've done well, you think, as, uh, as an engineer. You've contributed in so many different ways, and you get your first management role. You're working hard because now you're trying to do, as, a, as any good first-time manager, you're trying to do the job of your entire team <laughs> right away. And so here you are now trying to do 10 people's jobs and staying up all night, working through weekends, and you're doing a terrible job. And, and you get that feedback by the end of your first year and they say, hey, you just got to go back to being a good engineer. You're a terrible manager. And the greatest, uh, I'd say one of the best things a manager could have ever done for me is having recognized that right away in the first year and said to me, right, this is the best time to give you this feedback. Take a step back before you go back to anything else you do in management. You want to plateau, you want to plateau now. You don't want to plateau 10 or 20 years from now where the back off point is too steep, too high, and too long away, too long for you to do anything else about. It was the greatest feedback I got. I think those are the important instances. Everybody will have a life-defining, career-defining moment. You got to grab it and take it for what it brings to you and not what it might have done. I was in tears. My ego was hurt. But you recover, and you recover strong after that. Yeah. I know I I always like to share this uh when when it comes in a conversation. So my first management job, uh, I'd been a therapist in addiction uh for a number of years. And I got offered this role uh managing a um uh housing uh, concurrent disorders housing project so for people who live with mental health concerns and addiction concerns. And I was really psyched. I was like, "Oh, you know, I'm going to be in this leadership role. It's going to be so great." And I was the worst, like whatever your trope is of like the worst boss. I like wanted everyone to like me. I was a micromanager. I wanted like, I was super insecure, but I was also like arrogant. I was like this mix. And it was a mix because I was a kid. I didn't know what I was doing. And I suddenly had all this responsibility, 
but I also had to take a team of people, some who were like consummate professionals and some who were just like, you absolutely have no right to work in this field. Like what, who hired you? I had to take this group of people that were so different. And it was the, the different ways of the group were like, they're kind of like their diversity of work process and how they applied things. And I couldn't handle it. It bugged me out. And I would get this feedback that just crushed me and made me feel so bad. And finally, I just realized I suck at this. And I just got to go back to being a therapist until I have more experience and learn better how to lead. And it was the best decision I ever made for myself professionally was to quit that job, go back to being a therapist and learn and learn and learn and learn. The biggest failure I ever had in my career was that. And I'll say it was also the biggest success because like, I wasn't like, it's everyone else's fault. I was like, oh no, I suck at this. Like I am not good at this. And I had to like really digest and learn how I had screwed up. One of the biggest things I think leaders can get comfortable with, it's not about um, running away from being disliked. It's that you're disliked for the right reasons. And I was disliked for, for reasons because I sucked at my job and I wasn't good at it. I wasn't disliked because I was creating a kind of change that was important and had meaningful results. And I would say for leaders, like the value of resistance here is as much as like learning to work through things and get to a success as it's when you're getting resistance, what does it tell you about you? And like, what can you distill from that? That's going to make you a better, better leader in the future. Yeah, no, it's a great point. At the end of the day, I, I, you know, we're always outwardly focused. You're looking at changing a team. You're looking at changing a business. You're working with your colleagues, your direct reports, but you're rarely working with yourself. I mean, I, I think that's the fundamental lesson that I take away each time I, I sit back and think about it is how much am I working with myself? How much am I aware of the change I'm making within myself? And, and without getting any more abstract, it, it's, it's really the change you see in yourself to the greatest extent is also projected out. And you see the results. I've seen that in my career. I've seen that in, uh, just in my uh, personal life. The change comes when it first comes within you. And this happens, uh, this is a continuous process. Uh, I think about my relationship uh, with my mother now. Uh, she lives in India, she's older. She's going through this COVID pandemic by herself in an apartment in a city. And I think about the amount of uh, change that we have all experienced and the choices I have in front of me. And am I the right person living away from her? Is this the right goal given what we have all experienced in this last two years and what is, has the goal changed? Has the life goal changed? Has the career goal changed? And you reevaluate re all of that to say, what are you as a person? And unless you can evaluate all of that and say, this is who you are and present yourself at work as a complete person, you don't have a right to expect everybody else to show up and change for any other goal that you lay out for them. So it, it's really yeah. like holistically pulling this together has meaning, right? And people see yeah. through it. Yeah, 100%. So you know, as we're heading uh, towards the end here, I've got a, a few questions that I want to ask you about really the nature of complexity doesn't go away, yeah. right? So like we know there's always complexity. Um, how do we keep people in a state of feeling like that change and managing complexity is a good thing while also allowing them to be a bit resistant because like, you know, like people are going to resist and they could resist because they had a crappy day today or because they're afraid of something. We can't expect people to be these like robotic, like I am totally comfortable with any change. Don't worry about it. So how do we allow people to, to have their reactions and, and their difficulty? And we don't expect them to not be afraid of change. And to not resist, but to be comfortable with being in the process. How do we help people get there and build up teams basically saying, we'll give you your space to react, but you've got to be comfortable with the process here. How can we get people there? Yeah, it's a great question. It's, we always say, trust the process, but uh, you don't trust the people, then it doesn't work, right? Mm -hmm. So right. you have to find a way to trust the process, but you really have to find a way to trust the people to trust the process. And, mm -hmm. and that's, that's, really, uh, the, that's really the process for a leader. Right. And, and, and the whole idea comes back to complexity. Does anyone want to deal with complexity? The answer is heck no. We'd all like to have a way of just not having to deal with resistance, complexity, change. 
I think it's it's completely okay to first be a human being talking to another human being and say, yes, we both share the same vulnerabilities. I feel the same way or maybe even different, but I have an equal set of vulnerabilities as you might have. Unless you're connected at that level where you're okay as a leader to say you feel weak some days, you feel off skelter some days, and it's okay for you know anyone, your colleague, to say to you, hey, I'm having a bad day and I might actually give you a really hard time today. And it is okay if they do that because now you're taking them for who they are. They are a human being going through a lot. And so are you. And once you're connected at that level, you have a relationship that builds that uh, level of space and patience. You're patient only with people who you have a good relationship with. The rest, you barely have the time. And so you build that relationship, you build the patience, and then comes the trust as you go through stressful situations and that builds the process. And it, it's, it's, it's a journey. You have to take steps through this journey. Yeah. All right. So heading in, we've got two more questions left. So one of them is going to be a business question and one of them is going to be, oh, I think I'm going to make it a music question for you. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. So value of resistance. Um, I'd say every senior leader for sure can say like value of resistance. It's been like a career maker for me, like successful uh, professionals. But I want you to think of like first time managers, young people, you know, people who are heading into that, maybe moving from a frontline manager to more of a mid-level manager. What is some advice that you could give people about not just getting comfortable with receiving resistance, but actually thriving in that space? What's, what's some advice that you could give for them to help them get there? What, what's worked for me, and uh, I, I think it would work for a lot of those early career professionals, is to stay in a learning mindset. Right? You, right away, as you get that job, you now have the role to determine outcomes from people versus your own work that you had almost full control of. So you have to learn to let go. You have to learn uh, how to let people be themselves. Just go back and think about your, your role model manager who let you do what you did best and have fun with it. And all of that requires so much uh, different way of thinking that I almost think taking a step back and saying, do I have a learning mindset as I approach this problem rather than I have to check these boxes to get ahead in my career or I have to check a certain amount of uh, deliverables to get something done in a certain time or whatever it is you're aspiring to be or do. Can you take the approach of, hey, what did I learn today? Did I share it with somebody? Did I learn something from someone else? And, and can that be rolled into your day in a way in which you end it in a meaningful manner versus having to think any other way? Yeah. yeah. I love that. It's fantastic. All right. You ready for your last question? Music question. Now here's your music question. All right. Post-pandemic. Pandemic is over. It's done. I show up at your office and I got two tickets to a concert. What concert do you want that to be front row and center? Oh, that's the hardest one. I want the one that makes the most noise. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you and I are going to go see Metallica. We're going to be front row and center. You, I don't know why in this scenario we're not bringing our partners here, yes. but it's just you and me. We're going to a concert now. We're going to go front row center Metallica, you and me, when the pandemic's done. Yes, it's, it's a done deal. <laughs> all right, man. Anything you want to add in on this topic or anything at all as we're rounding off? I think it's been a great, great talking to you, Ram. As we talk about resistance, complexity, we talk about being uncomfortable. We talk about all these things that have a negative connotation, but I think they're figments of how we make them negative. Uh, they're not necessarily mm -hmm. that, they're not negative in their own uh, attributes. We, mm -hmm. we use them as spades to dig out the dirt to get to a goal. Uh, that doesn't make the spade dirty and it's just a way, it's just a tool. I think of these as mental tools that we can observe and use and that make space for us, make a way for us. Yeah, I, I, what a great way to end off because the idea of resistance sounds bad, like, oh, resistance but actually resistance like hey you know if you plant a seed the seed is resisting the soil you know it's growing up through the soil that whole idea of resistance if you give it the right mindset it's just about how do you flourish 
by getting through a goal or getting to your goal by recognizing you're going to have to push through a bunch of stuff. And uh, I think that's such a great way to end off. So Paramal, uh, it's always been uh, such an inspiration to be able to work with you and to see the incredible work that you do. Everyone, I encourage you to, you know, learn more about Paramount and the organization he works in because they do some really, really cool stuff. And thank you so much for your time today. Love talking to you, Ryan. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. All right, everybody. I will see you in the outro. And Dave, drop the beat. That was a great conversation. And thank you so much to Paramount for joining us. You know, when it comes to perseverance and persistence and facing challenges, there's a lot of fist pumping. There's a lot of platitudes. You know, there's a lot of memes out on Instagram. And I get it. Like, we're trying to inspire each other to keep going. But at the end of the day, yeah, you can feel demoralized. You can feel tired. And I encourage you to take care of that. It's totally valid. But what you can't do is give up. Take the time to get yourself straight, to figure it out, to re-energize. Talk to the people you need to talk to. You know, find that space of belief in yourself and belief in what you're pursuing. Take the time, but keep going. If you believe in something and that thing has the ability to create real change, you got to put it all on the line. Again, you can go over the wall, you can go around the wall, and sometimes you got to go through the wall. It's going to cost something. But on the other end, If there's value, you're going to know that the effort was worth it. So with that, I want to thank you all for joining us this time. Um, We're produced by Patrick McKechnie. We're edited by Dave Larson and designed by Tammy Levy. This show is all about connection. So if there's anything that you'd like to hear us talk about, if there's something that you'd be excited to hear about, something you want us to touch on, please do get in touch through our website. And until then, we will see you next time on One Step beyond what?